We've enhanced our equipment, we've enhanced our operational knowledge and different types of special hazards. But from the staffing and resources of personnel and equipment, it's still back antiquated. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the firefighting information you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. Just about every firefighter enjoys reading about the experiences of other members of the Brotherhood, and that's why books written by veteran firefighters are so popular. Plus, they give potential new recruits valuable real-world information on how to get on the job. My guest today is Stan Tarnowski. He's back on Code 3 today to talk about his new book, Firefighting in the 21st Century. It's part memoir, part textbook, and it's all interesting. This is Chief Tarnowski's third book. Stan has served as a fire chief, 911, and EMA director in Union City, Georgia. He began his career in 1975 with the Boston Logan International Airport Fire Department. Stan's been a deputy and suppression chief at the Georgia State Fire Academy and chief of training at the Henry County Fire Department. And he is currently the president of FireSafe Consulting Group. And Stan Tarnowski joins me now. Welcome back to Code 3. Hey, Scott. It's great to be back with you. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. You've got another book out. It's called Firefighting in the 21st Century. This book covers a lot of ground. Yeah, God put it on my heart to put some things in writing. I've basically been journaling over the years some of the, I think, more important things that came to mind that may be important for others on the road. So God really blessed me and created me for a purpose-driven life. And I think uh, all of us that serve in public safety, you know, we're created that way because it's a very unique person that takes on this kind of responsibility, accountability, serve community and uh, serve each other as humans. I just felt that was an honor and a privilege uh, to be able to be selected uh, to serve in the capacities that I did serve in from firefighter to fire chief and a few other things in between. So I wanted to put, put some of these notes down in, in writing that I had in my head, my heart. God just, you know, there it goes. So <laughs> I come up with 30 chapters, just touching on some of the basics that I think that individuals, I wrote it actually for all phases of people wanting to get on the job, on the fire service and EMS, all the way through people working the job and then actually coming up to retirement. Let me ask you about that. Who is this book really written for? Yeah, that's a great question, Scott. I appreciate that because I felt that somebody that's wanting to get on the job, give them a look at what they're up, what they're facing. And the thing was, is I started back in the early 70s. 
1975 and coming up through over 30 years of serving. But this book is written for all generations, basically, within that 30, 40 year period of time. Because I'll have people come up to me and ask me, hey, Chief, what do I need to have my son get on the fire service and get in the job? And I'll say, look at uh, back in the day, it was, you know, do you know anybody that's on the job in your city? You know, you can communicate with them and see if they can point you in the right direction. So I wrote the book for people that are interested in getting on the fire service. I also wrote it for the people that are on the job five years in, 10 years in, even 20 years in, coming up to officership and then also to the chief's office. So I try to touch a little bit on each aspect uh, of the position from firefighter through fire officer one, two, and three, you know, assistant chief, deputy chief, chief, and kind of a, a conglomerate in between. There's a little bit for everybody, I think, in there. And I was fortunate and blessed to be able to serve in multiple capacities. So I just wanted to share that with people. And if they can get something from it that helps them in their career, either the beginning or through it and towards the end, then, you know, it's been a, it's been a blessing uh, for that to happen. Yeah, you know, I've never been a firefighter, but I've been a journalist. I've been around for a while. And when I read this, a lot of what I was saying was, yeah, I remember that, and I remember that, too. It seems like some of this is about reminiscing, and some of it's about teaching. That's an accurate, accurate overview of, of what I tried to accomplish there, because it's, it's, it's a personal overview of what I've done in my career, but it also touches on some of the things that will go on on a day-to-day basis that fire personnel, EMS, public safety personnel have to be attuned to and astute to at planning and training and executing their operational plan. So yeah, that's that's really what, what I wanted to do is to be able to share a little bit of personal plus the over, overview of the organizational structure and uh, what it is that we do on a day-to-day basis. I noticed that there's a feel for the old days and then you compare it to how things are done now. For instance, the section on what a fire chief used to do versus what he has to do these days is very striking. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I could have went on and on and on, but it's truly, when I think about back in the 70s, what chiefs would do and then, and, so, and some of those things I mentally things that I saw take place, the chiefs thought they had a lot going on, but compared to what actually goes on now in the in the chief's office are totally different things. It's a 360-degree change. And you have to have a lot more personnel, a lot of resources, a lot of administration, a lot of management, and, uh, you know, specialty operations. I think FDNY, you know, they they started, you know, with special ops, and we really have a lot of special operations going on, you know, today. And I think today a chief has to be more of a politician than he used to have to be. Yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, I never really liked having to go to the city manager's office or the county manager or, you know, the political base, you know, when we were, when we were needing equipment and we were needing procedural changes and needed approvals. But it's something that you really have to do. And it's really, it, it's a subject that needs to be taught in fire science classes, I believe, fire administrative classes, college level, and also take specialty courses on how to deal with the political structure in your community. You know, I, I saw it from four different perspectives of political base, 
the Mass Port Authority was a semi-quasi state political group. And we had, you know, there was a board of directors, you know, there that ran that. And also I was blessed to work in the municipal setting as a municipal fire chief. And then also a state, the chief of the state fire academy in training. And uh, that was state operation then in a, a county department uh, at Henry County in Henry County, Georgia, as chief of training there, a large department. So I, I really got the gamut. There's not many people that I've spoken to that that got themselves into those those aspects of administrative and political base. So I learned a lot, and I, and I really wanted to, you know, wanted to touch on and wanted to share some of those things that I experienced in in those operations because they did change from organization to organization for sure. When I read the stuff from the old days, from the seventies and the early eighties. I think about those internet memes that show the firefighters on the tailboard and it's, they'll say things like, I was a firefighter back when it was fun before they screwed it all up. <laughs> That's crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy talk because, I mean, back then, that was what we did. You know, you, you rode the tail step. You know, the hydrant man would catch the hydrant, but he'd be riding to the call on the back step. And you're supposed to hook in if you were doing that, but most of the time, guys didn't. So we had people falling off trucks back then and it was you know really unsafe so we've done a lot to 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 provide enhanced safety for our people from and i talked about the turnout gear everything from the basics from the tools equipment the gear the operational procedures to training it's a it's a 360 degree unit as a firefighter and you have to give as a as a manager as a leader from, from company officer all the way up to the chief's office, you have to provide the, the ultimate, the best equipment and resources, you know, to keep your people safe and effective on the job. You don't have to spend millions and millions of dollars. Sometimes you do because of the size of the department, but if you're gonna spend money, you wanna capitalize on the best safety equipment that you can for your personnel. So, you know, so, Enhancement of safety, I think, has been a predominant thing that we need to continue to go forward with with all the all the needs that we have on the specialty jobs that we go to, hazmat and, and the such. Are we too safe these days? Are firefighters too worried about their own safety and not worried enough about the victims? I think that's a tough question to answer because every call that we go on, although they may be similar, like a fire structure call, you know, a typical, you know, single family home structure versus a high-rise structure fire, warehouse fire, you know, are we, excuse me, are we making entry when we shouldn't? Are we not making entry when we should? You know, and those operational decisions that the company officer in command has to make when they roll up and they do a 360 and they have to determine, you know, what the the load is and what the safety factor is and and victims that are you know, someone's trapped inside, we're going to launch an interior attack and go in for rescue as long as we're set up for it. You know, we, we, I think we went through a period of time where we would just kick a door and one, one guy would go in and try to, you know, do the best he could uh, to rescue whoever was maybe trapped and then end up losing that guy. So, right. you know, this it's depends on where you are too. I mean, as a rural sector, operations, there's limited water supply, there's not many hydrants, you know, other than the rural sector versus an urban or suburban sector where you've got, you know, hydrants every, you know, 500 feet. So you can roll in and you have more personnel, more equipment. So, you know, 
the, the response times are longer in the rural uh, communities. So everything takes has to be taken into account. But I think overall, you know, our firefighters and emergency personnel do do a great job. And the fact that in the last numbers that I saw from a, a poll that was taken was 70, 77 or 79 percent of our fire service in the United States is volunteer. Yeah. And that can be confirmed by that's roughly the numbers. So people can't. That's one of the things I talk with just anybody that I'm, that I'm talking with that has an interest in in the fire service. I'll say they'll say, you know, how many firefighters, you know, actually are there? And I say, well, there's, you know, there's many, but they're not all full time career, you know, firefighters. They're not all manned stations. And I'll tell them a number of volunteers and they'll they'll go, are you kidding? That's unbelievable. And I'll go, no, that's that's the truth. People are serving their communities, you know, in a large number uh, are volunteer. Well, I think a lot of people that are covered by volunteer departments don't even realize that they are volunteer. Right, right, exactly. So they want a three-minute response time, and they don't realize that they're not going to get that because it's not realistic for where they live. Absolutely true. Three to five minutes was, you know, has been our, our standard, you know, response times is trying to hit those numbers, but that's more of a suburban-urban where you have stations placed a lot closer to each other, you know, to cover those circle areas. And they're manned 24-7. Exactly. And if you live, you're living in a, a small town that's on call, then call has to go out, personnel have to respond to the station, get in their gear, get the trucks going, get on the truck and get out the door. You know, and the development of fire and the structure fire is going to take place, you know, within those five minutes, I mean, it's going to be consumed. Yeah. The community doesn't have the money to substantiate having a full-time department, which I believe, and I wrote in, in the book in one section about, you know, staffing is to have, if you can't man your police, fire, and EMS 24-7, have somebody being able to respond to when somebody calls 911, you know, there's something wrong. And the priority has to be that before you start doing anything else. So I don't know who you know, in the political structure has to address those issues, but... But it has to be addressed. But it has to be addressed, because it's been going on forever. You know, it's been going on forever. And the big cities and the suburban cities, they, they're they still battled in battle with, with their political groups, mayors and commissioners and council and everything to increase their budget load, you know, and because typically we're not a revenue generating operation like right. some of the other departments are, then you get that thrown back at you, which I talked about in, in detail too. Yeah, I sense your frustration with this, but are you ever surprised by how short-sighted some of these communities can be? You know, I'm, I'm amazed at how they are because we only we hear from them when something may go wrong or somebody, you know, unfortunately gets hurt at a fire or loses their life. And then all the questions come out because the legal staff, the legal counsel comes out and they start investigating. They want to know how many people are on duty, how many pieces of equipment, what was the response times. It all goes back to meeting those basic response needs. And, And then that gets passed over. Something happens, somebody gets litigated, they pay out the fines or the, you know, damages, and then we go on and it's the same thing the next day, you know? Nothing I, changes. I, I don't, nothing changes. I mean, when you say 200 years of tradition unimpeded by progress, you know, 
in, in one aspect that has stayed the same, you know, in the other aspect of, you know, of training personnel, we've enhanced all of that. We've enhanced our equipment and we've enhanced our operational knowledge and different types of special hazards. But from the staffing and resources of personnel and equipment, it's still back antiquated, you know, it's to me, I mean, I just, everywhere you, everything you read and everything you hear is still, you know, operating that same way. And I don't understand it, why politicians wouldn't want to have their emergency response teams fully, fully resourced in all aspects. That's the first thing. So when you get on the scene, you need, you have two in and two out rules. But if you only have one guy on a truck bringing a truck to the fire, you got to wait till four trucks are on scene, you know? Yeah. It, makes, it puts us, it puts the firefighter in jeopardy in many ways in the safety. Because who, who is a trained firefighter that's going to roll up and not want to go in and rescue somebody that's trapped in, in, a, in a trailer fire, say, you know, single wide, double wide, or single home? You know, you're not going to want to sit out front and watch the thing burn, waiting for another engine with other personnel to come. It's just, to me, it just doesn't make any sense in the 21st century, you know? Yeah. So it just seemed like we had more personnel back then, you know, in the, in the 70s, 60s, 70s, than, than we do now, because I think we have too many, so many jobs to do that we're spread so thin. EMS is a major response category, and now we have all the hazmat. You've got biochem, you've got terrorism, anti-terrorism aspects, you've got bombings, you've got shootings, you've got mass casualty. I mean, on and on. That's why I mentioned some of those things that our call volume has changed in the different configurations of the calls that we go to and what we need to actually address those calls. Now, I'm just hoping that at some point that the powers to be that distribute and approve budgets, we'll see the, the absolute needs, even though we've had catastrophic events like 9-11. I mean, I dedicated the book to, to those serving the 343 that we lost. That was an eye-opener. That was a, an awakening for, for the fire service. I think we, we, we get a little complacent and then something major happens and then we deal with it and then we get a little bit complacent again. But nowadays, it just seems like we're we're constantly being bombarded with terroristic domestic and and foreign so i really my i pray every single day for every firefighter in in our country and in the world because i know it's a difficult job it's not just for anybody so this book like i said earlier this book covers a lot of ground what was the most fun part for you to write reaching back on some of the calls that that i was able to respond to that was you know, blessed to be on and all the lessons learned. In this field, you you really can't gain the experience unless you do it. Practicing all of your skill sets that you train on every single day. You know, I was blessed. I I got my fire science degree before I got got on the job, which was I had the theory of, you know, fire protection and safety technology. I had my EMT certification and I was fireboat captain documentation so I could, you know, pilot the fireboat. So I had multiple a facet of training you know so but i think just overall i think reminiscing about the the uh, types of calls that we went on and some of the events that took place and some of the the opportunities that were allowed me personally and us as a group from different departments that i that i served with yeah you've got a great little story in there about standing on top of a dc-10 
It's covered with firefighting foam and hoping you didn't fall off. <laughs> yeah, that was a great one. That, that American DC-10 had popped the engine, had a fan blade rupture and caught the number two on fire. And, uh, you know, we, it pulled off on uh, one of the uh, parallel runways and deployed the chutes. And we rolled in and, you know, with the uh, crash fire rescue, you can pump and roll at the same time. So you're delivering, you know, 1,200 gallons per minute foam through a turret, and you have five trucks, four or five trucks, and <laughs> that thing was covered in no time, but it still was fire inside the uh, engine cowling, so we had to get up in there and knock that thing down with the purple K line and then get up on the exhaust side. With We had Latitude, Boston's Latitude up there, so I got up there with somebody else, and we made sure that thing was knocked down. And So, yeah, there's just a lot of there was a lot of opportunities of uniqueness, I guess, piloting with the fire boat and responding with the boat and the Marine Division and, you know, of course, all the EMT calls and and my liaison with various organizations when the president and vice president arrivals. And we actually housed the, the motorcade in the fire station at Logan when we had President Bush and, and Reagan coming in. So, and I used to liaison with them, the Secret Service and the NTSB, FAA, and, and those groups, Coast Guard and all that. So when I'm thinking back of all of the opportunities that God had blessed me with and, and took me through so much in my, in my career and then in my life in general, I, I'm just so fortunate and blessed to, to have been uh, able to do the things that I was able to do and help other people along the way. All right, the book is Firefighting in the 21st Century. Stan Tarnowski, thanks for joining me back on Code 3 again. It was good to talk to you. Thanks, Scott. It's always a pleasure speaking with you, and I really appreciate the time that you spend with me and sharing you know, our combined experiences on the job and off the job. And we really want to say thank you for your dedication to the fire service and the journalism and all that you do, uh, have done, and what you continue to do for us. And we put some more information about how to order the Chief's latest book on our website at code3podcast.com slash stand. Check it out. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. I'd love to hear what you think of the show. Just email me, scott at code3podcast.com. Or go to the website, Code3Podcast.com, and click on the contact link. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.